Aloha, friends. I'm Darina Lazo Gilmore Young, and I'm your host here on Eat, Pray, Run, a podcast by the Global Glory Chasers. So if you've listened to our Walk, Run, Soar podcast in the past, we are so thrilled to have you back. And if you're new around here, I just want to say welcome. Our podcast actually got a little bit of a makeover. You can count on the same refreshing interviews and encouraging reflections, but with a little twist. As we are launching into season three, join us for an adventure chasing God's glory as we eat, pray, and run. Sean and I are hosting conversations with athletes, artists, chefs, and authors about food, culture, travel, books, and of course, faith. This is a podcast about learning to chase God's glory in our everyday lives. And you can expect a thoughtful quote, an engaging interview, and a little prayer. So welcome to season three, episode three. And if you are a fan of our podcast already, we just want to ask you to share a quick rating and review in your podcast app or platform, because this actually helps other people find us here at Eat, Pray, Run. Thank you, friends. Hope you enjoy the episode. Glory chaser. I know what you might be thinking. What's a glory chaser? A glory chaser is someone who is pursuing God and his glory on a daily basis. Friends, glory is the very beginning of the Bible story and also the grand finale. From Genesis to Revelation, we see that this word glory encompasses more than we can ever imagine. And throughout the Bible, glory is used as another word for majesty, beauty, creation, heaven. When God's glory is mentioned, we think about his very presence being there. Many of the heroes of our faith, from Moses to Mary, from Esther to Ruth, from Isaiah to Paul, come to understand God's glory in profound ways. His glory is a lens a way for us to view the Bible, and more importantly, the direction of our lives. We are called to pursue his glory. In other words, to be glory chasers. In Psalm 34, 8, David wrote, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. I believe that God wants us to experience his glory with all of our senses. And taste is truly one of my favorite ways to bear witness to his goodness. God, after all, is the bread of life. Jesus is the living water, the wine poured out for us. He models for us how to be salt and light. And through this series that we're doing here on the podcast, we will be challenging you to discover and take notice of God's glory alongside us. We will be sharing conversations with friends who are also learning to chase God's glory through their kitchens, through their backyards, through their churches, and even through their living rooms. So I want you to ponder this quote with me from Margaret Feinberg's book, Taste and See, Discovering God Among Butchers, Bakers, and Fresh Food Makers. She writes, when we gather to eat, God wants to nourish more than our bodies. He wants to nourish our souls with transcendent joy and supernatural community and divine presence.
Welcome, friends. I'm your host, Arena Lazo Gilmore Young. And if you know me, you know that I am a world foodie. I love getting in the kitchen with my family and trying out new recipes or making some of our traditional ones. And I also love traveling and exploring local restaurants, food trucks, farmers markets, all the places where food is. And food is one of the ways that I believe that we can experience God's glory. And so that's why I'm so thrilled today to be able to invite my new friend, Artie Sequeira, to my table. And if we were meeting in person, I would be making chai lattes and I'd be serving that tiramisu because that's what I love to do for guests. And I will be inviting all of you listeners to our table as well, because gathering at the table is important to me. I think that's where the best conversations happen. And so for those of you watching us on YouTube, you get to see our faces. For those of you listening on a podcast, maybe while you're running or walking or commuting, we just want to invite you in. Artie is a cooking show host. She's a cookbook author a journalist, a television producer, and a food personality. I actually got to know her through watching the Food Network years ago when she was on the Food Network Star. Uh, My kids and I loved watching that show, and we were so delighted to see a woman who especially loved Indian cuisine and bringing her personality to the camera. And now she's also speaking to women of faith about overcoming fear, the sacred nature of breaking bread. So we're going to talk about all those things. I'm so excited also to be a new kind of sister with RT through Encourage, which is the website that we both write for through Dayspring. I want to introduce you to RT. Thank you for being with us today. Why don't you start us off by telling us a little bit about what season of life you're in? Married, kids, work, what does it look like? Yeah, it's, it's, it's cacophony. It's chaos. So we, I am married. I'm married to Brendan McNamara, who I met on the third day of new student week at university. And we've been together ever since. So that's a long time. And we have two children aged seven and five, two daughters. And actually one of them is homesick today. So oh, <laughs> you, know, you know how that messes things up. Yeah. So we just made a huge move. We'd lived in Los Angeles for two decades and just felt this like stirring to move to North Carolina. We live in Raleigh now. So we just moved a year and a half ago to give our children a different sort of life, you know, a life where there's a backyard, where there are cousins and aunts and uncles and grandparents. I mean, we had grandparents in LA too, no shade to them. We love them and miss them, but we needed more of a support system because, you know, in my job, I travel so much and I just felt like my husband was having to do everything on his own. Mm. So that's where we are. So you're pretty new to North Carolina then. We know North Carolina, Brendan and I have been coming to North Carolina for like holidays in the summers and Christmases and stuff for like 10 years. So we know, we know of it, but it's so different when you're actually living there and to go from, you know, the second biggest city in the country (laughs) to anywhere is going to take a while to get used to. So we're still in the, in the process of getting used to it. Yeah. Well, I'm in Central California and RT is in Raleigh. So we're across the country from each other, but I'm so Mm -hmm. grateful for the way that 
Zoom and audio can bring us together. I wanted to start off by asking you a little bit about your journey, because I know that you started out in broadcast journalism Mm-hmm. out of college. And I'm formerly a journalist as well. And so I just keyed into that part of your story. I'd love for you to share a little bit about yeah, how you got from journalism into the food world and what was the journey that God took you on to yeah. get there. I always, always, always wanted to be an international correspondent. I grew up in Dubai and I grew up during the Gulf War. And that's when CNN really burst onto the scene especially internationally. And so that was the first time that I had seen true, uncensored, on-the-ground journalism. Mm -hmm. And it had such an impact on me. I was like, that's all I want to do. I want to be Christian Amanpour, the end. And so my dad, bless him, was like, you're going to the States for university, not just because of the quality of university, but because freedom lives there and they will accept you and you can do whatever you want to do there. And Mm -hmm. so I came here and I went to university, met, you know, this guy who ended up being my <laughs> husband and uh, theater kid. And then, and then I, you know, I got the job of my dream straight out of school and started working for CNN. I was like, that's it. I mean, this is all I've ever wanted to do yeah. was work for CNN. And so it was wonderful. It's a sharp learning curve in your twenties. I mean, life is a sharp learning curve and, you know, getting a job and, you know, I was learning about financial journalism. That's also, geez, and crow, a lot to learn. And so I thought that I had made it and I was on a pretty set in stone career path. I would just keep being a producer. The only question mark was if anybody would ever believe in me enough to let me be in front of the camera. Cause that's always, that was mm-hmm. where, what I wanted to do. And then when Brendan and I got married, I moved to California to be with him cause he's an actor. And that's when the bottom fell out. I didn't have a job. I couldn't really drive because we had a stick shift. I had moved from New York to LA. So ain't nobody doing a stick shift when they haven't even driven for like three, four years. I'd always loved food and food has always been a huge part of my identity, my family's identity, our cultural identity. But I hadn't really spent a lot of time cooking myself. I baked. I did a lot of baking. And so with all this time on my hands and watching Food Network and watching PBS cooking shows and leafing through cookbooks, I just started to cook. And the thing is, there were Indian recipe books. So I did kind of try to recreate like classic Indian recipes, but they weren't turning out the way that my mom made them. And the thing that there was a lot of literature and shows on was American cuisine. So that's where I started because there was just so much help in that arena. And then I started adding spices and flavors and textures that I had grown up with. And that's how I kind of came up with my own way of cooking. And then that sort of led to shooting my own cooking show in our teeny tiny apartment. And that is on YouTube. If you ever want to watch it, it was called Artie Party, which is my husband's, my husband's title. I thought it was the dumbest thing ever, but he (laughs) was like, it's going to catch on. And so it was a cooking variety show. And the idea was whenever anything simmered or roasted or poached or boiled away, that was a pocket of time for us to showcase our own artistic side. All of our friends are performers, so we were able to bring them in. And after doing that for about a year, a bunch of people had said, you should try out for this show on Food Network called Food Network Star, because if you win, you get your own cooking show. And I thought they were nuts because I'm 
you know, I have a little bit of restaurant experience, but not a ton, mostly mm-hmm. self-trained. And I thought, well, only people who are trained go on this thing. Only people with a lot of experience go on here. Like I am very specific about not calling myself a chef. Mm-hmm. I am not a chef. A chef has kitchen experience. They run a kitchen and I don't have that. So I am a cook. I'm a good cook. But I was like, that's not enough to win a cooking show on Food Network. And so that just started a whole new career for me. My prayer is that somehow in the back of my brain, the Lord will figure out a way for me to fuse those two parts together, which is I am still a journalist at heart. I am still a truth seeker, light shiner on dark places person at heart. And I'm hoping that, you know, I can figure out a way to put those two things together. Well, I love that. And, you know, I think that's partly what attracted me to your story. Like I said, first on Food Network, I I used to watch all those shows when my kids were little and when I was nursing my babies and Mm -hmm. I love to cook. And I grew up in the kitchen with my um, Italian mom and grandmas and then my Filipino Chinese side as well. It just, when I saw you cooking and really, um, just celebrating your culture and creativity in the midst of that. It was just something that I was really attracted to. And I loved also that you were not coming from this chef experience, but you were coming from lived life experience. Mm -hmm. So I appreciate that. At the time, I didn't know that you were a believer, but since then, (laughs) you know, watching, watching you and reading some of your articles and just seeing how much your faith is central to everything that you do. And our show is really about this idea of chasing God's glory, of looking for God's glory in every part of our lives and experiencing it in the day-to-day. Food is one of the ways, a major way actually in our family that we do that. So I would love to hear a little bit more about that experience of being part of the Food Network star. You know, we get to see what happens on the screen, but I'm sure there's lots of things that happen behind the screen, how did you prepare yourself for that? And how was that something that kind of propelled you into some of these new food adventures? It was one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life. It really was. There was a lot of it that was miserable. I'll just tell you, honestly, it was physically and emotionally exhausting, at least when they did it in that season. And it had changed towards the end of the life of the show. We were like, quarantined, which is not a word that we used with much um, (laughs) frequency back then. We were living in a house up in the Hollywood Hills and we had no access to the outside world. We, our phones were taken away. We had no internet. We had no TV. Every now and then would catch a little snippet on the radio, but that was about it. We had no books. We couldn't bring no computers. Obviously there was just, there was nothing. Because the idea was that they wanted us really focused in on the competition. But I decided that I was going to bring my Bible. Mm -hmm. And I thought to myself, I'm going to wait for them to ask to take it away. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to assume that this is not welcome. I'm going to ask for them to take it away. And they never did, bless them. And it was sort of, I would turn to it a lot because I think when I was so panicked there, there really is no way to prepare for it. You can try to memorize recipes and, you know, get your cooking up to speed. But really, I hadn't watched the show that much, so I didn't even know what to expect. When the judges walked in, I was like, I only know Bobby Flay. I don't know anybody else, frankly. Like, I hadn't watched it. <laughs> right. So in a way, that was a blessing. Like, I couldn't be yeah. intimidated by people I didn't know. Mm-hmm. 
beyond just being intimidated because they were Food Network executives. I didn't even know how to prepare for something like this. So in that way, it was good. Like you just kind of go in and jump in the deep end. I made some really great friends on that. And I, and I, and it was rough. I mean, it really was rough, but I don't think I could have done it without God because, you know, they would have days and days and days where you don't have access to that outside world. You're being told what time to wake up. Sometimes you're woken up by a camera and you're given 45 minutes to get dressed, have breakfast, be camera ready, and then taken somewhere. And you don't know what is happening that day. Then you cook for your life. You know, you're running around. I lost like 20, 25 pounds on that show. Wow. Just from the physical, like the physical and the like emotional exhaustion of it all. I looked awesome. (laughs) Um, And then, you know, and then you stand, and this is very interesting to me, right? To me, it's a microcosm of the world. You stand in front of these judges. They're all sitting down. You're standing for hours. And it's a firing line, right? I mean, they go down the line. I don't want to sound disgruntled about it. I'm not, but this is the reality of how it feels. Like they go down the line and tell you the things that you did great, which is awesome, and the things that you did not do well at. Uh, which is not so awesome. And by the end of it, one of you is going home. So you're just, I mean, the, the, everyone that I've talked to since, like when I talk to other people who've done Food Network Star, we compare notes, that sinking tummy feeling, the need to go to the bathroom constantly, like just this total sense of anxiety that you live in for six weeks. It's a lot. But if that is what you think reality is, it's going to do a number on you. That is to me a lesson about the life that we live here is that as, as Christ followers, as people from whom the scales have been lifted, right? In terms of our eyes, we know what's really going on. And what's really going on is God's the one in charge. God gave me the win on Food Network. Nobody else did. I mean, they did, but God was the author of my story and is the author of my story. And that's sort of how it is in real life too, is we sort of feel like all these things are important. All these things make or break us, but they don't, they're not in charge. It's God. And that was kind of, that's what got me through that whole thing. Because every time I won a challenge, I was like, there is no reason on God's green earth that I should be winning over (laughs) these people. There's no reason for it. And to me, every time that happened, it was a lesson in like, well, because that's what God's, God's going to do what he's going to do, you know? So you may as well sit back and just enjoy the ride. Well, I love hearing that perspective. Thank you for giving us a little bit of behind the scenes too, because I think we all know as we're watching it, that there's, there's much more than what's presented. Yeah. And I mean, honestly, as I'm watching it, I feel the anxiety. Yeah. <laughs> the contestants probably nowhere near to the degree of what you felt. So I think that's part of what I was interested in is to know, Mm -hmm. you know, how does God show up behind the scenes? And I love the way that you had your Bible and, you know, you were following him. And that was, you know, maybe the first such a time as this kind of moment where you were invited into the story. Well, I know that since then you've gotten the chance to have your own cooking show and you've been Mm -hmm. on several other cooking shows and you've published a cookbook and, I wanted to ask a little bit more about that. How did that specific thing, doing Food Network Star, then kind of propel you into these other adventures? Oh, I mean, well, 
in a way, a road, it's the same sort of thing where there is a roadmap. You know, you do a cooking show, you do a cookbook, you do more shows, you do products. The upside of it is your the world is your oyster, really. Mm-hmm. What do you want to do? Okay, well then let's figure out a way to do it. My problem is that this was such an unexpected dream that I don't have years and years of dreaming under my belt in this world. Mm-hmm. My dream was to be a reporter. And then I felt like that sort of crumbled before my eyes. And so I think there's a part of me that's not willing to dream because I have tasted failure. Mm. The, the problem with dreaming and the problem with hoping is you, it is a, taking a risk. You are taking a risk and saying, it's worth it to me. I might fail, but it's worth it to me. On any other day, I would say, well, of course you can't go anywhere without risking and you can't learn anything without failing. And I tell my kids that all the time and I can talk a really good game about it. (laughs) (laughs) But in reality, it's really hard. It's really hard to have the courage to step forward and say, okay, I'm going to try my hand at this. Mm -hmm. So I feel like every single thing I've sort of let the Lord lead, you know, and let him lead me on like, okay, what's the next thing? What's the next thing? But it's an odd business. It really is. It's, it's because there's no walls. I, I have recognized I need an edit. <laughs> I, need, I need someone to edit the space. So I have just focused on trying to be as authentic and honest as possible in every step of, of, the, of my career thus far. And to try to figure out at every step, why does the Lord have me here? Why am I doing this show? Why am I doing this thing? You know, and to try with everything to chip away at that fear of failure because that it is so paralyzing. That's a good word. And I think, you know, relatable for anyone, whether we're in a career similar to yours, or if we're in a different type of career, you know, just kind of, I would say realigning our dreams so that we are seeking God every step of the way. I think mm-hmm. about the story of Joseph. For some reason, that's just popping up in my mind. Joseph's story of, of how God used him in such a powerful and influential way. But along mm-hmm. the way, he had to go to prison for a couple of years. And mm-hmm. he had to feel the rejection of his family and, you know, accused of things that he didn't do. And yet God did bring him to this place of leadership and power and influence. I am so grateful for just your honesty in that world being difficult, but also knowing that God's taking you step by step on the journey. Mm -hmm. I'm going to switch gears here a little bit, but I think it's related. You know, we at Global Glory Chasers, one of the things that we do is we have a membership program and every month we focus on a different country and culture. And I'm so excited because this month we're actually exploring India. Mm -hmm. And one of the reasons why I was so attracted to your cooking when I was first watching the show is because of the way that you incorporated Indian culture. I have a little bit of Indian background and I have a passion for Indian food. So I loved the way that you brought this kind of cooking to the show. And even since then with, with your cookbook and other things that you've done, really celebrating your cultural heritage. And so I wanted to ask you a little bit more about that. What is what does that look like for you as you think of being from Indian heritage and, and how are you trying to bring that to your food and your faith and all of that? 
I, I think for me, it's just about being authentically who I am, which is I, I'm not I'm not just Indian. You know, I'm a fourth culture kid. So I was Indian. I grew up in a Middle Eastern country. I went to an English school in a Middle Eastern country. And now I'm here in America. So I'm just this mishmash of things. And everywhere I go, I pick little things up, especially when it comes to food. And that was the thing also about growing up in Dubai is that it's such a cosmopolitan city. I had a friend from Madagascar. I had friends from Australia and New Zealand and England and India and Pakistan and the Philippines, like all over. And so you learn about these people just by being around them and noticing what they eat, what they buy at the supermarket, you know. So that's always been a focus of how I cook and it's a focus of how my mom cooks. And so it's just this inherited curiosity that I think kind of peaks up in my food, whether it's a new spice that I found that I'm excited to figure out or a new dish that I'm like, hey, did you know that Armenians invented pizza before the Italians did? You know, things like that. Those things get me really excited. And that's pretty much how I cook and how I like to share recipes is, oh my gosh, I just figured this thing out. I just discovered this thing. Do you want to try it? Mm. To me, that's the same thing. That's evangelizing, right? Like that's what we're supposed to be doing is there's this thing that I discovered that is going to change your life if you try it. Mm. And so it's, in a way, they're sort of, those things are sort of married together on the path that I'm on. And now I'm in the South, which is a whole different culture. So I'm getting, <laughs> I'm getting ready to be taught two or three things about biscuits and barbecue and leather britches and all kinds of things. So I'm excited to see how that creeps into the way that I cook. I love how you talk to you about kind of those different layers, because really, we're, like you said, we're whole people. And so it's not that we're just one cultural heritage, but the places where we've lived, the people who we've lived mm -hmm. around or with, all of those influence us. And then even just the faith piece and how that has been woven in throughout your life. I think it's really powerful. That's one of the things that in us doing our Global Glory Chasers membership each month, focusing on a different culture, I've, I love seeing how there's these little things that we learn from each culture that we can celebrate, but so many of those things also overlap. And, yeah. you know, especially, you know, whether it's with history or maybe there's a certain spice, like next month we're doing Ethiopia. And mm -hmm. so I just have been immersed in all this Indian cooking, but now moving into Ethiopian cooking and realizing the overlap in the spices and some of the yeah. techniques. And the names of that dishes. Are, are the same, you know, and, and I think that part of that is the Arab spice route too, and spice trade and sort of that overlap. But yeah, I mean, it's funny because, you know, a few years ago, I put a poll up on Instagram because I was like, you know, having children has put a bunch of things into focus. And one of them is that, you know, I was like, I want us to travel the way that I traveled when I was little. Every summer in Dubai, it's so disgustingly hot that everyone takes a trip. And, you know, it's sort of 
you go for like two or three weeks. So we would go to all these different places all over the world. And they tended to be places that my dad had gone on business trips. And then he would come back and be like, okay, we're going to Istanbul. It's amazing. You're going to love it. The food's amazing. And so we would, <laughs> you know, and I was like, sure. Okay, great. This is so wretched. It was <laughs> awesome. And that's the kind of life I want for my children. But of course, growing up in Dubai, everything was like a five to seven hour plane ride away. It wasn't 24 hours like it is now that we live in the States. And frankly, travel's way more expensive than it used to be. And so I can't necessarily take my kids around the world and give them the sort of childhood I had in that way, but I can do it at the dinner table. So it's funny that you do this because it's something we've been doing for a while where like, I'll be like, okay, it's Chinese New Year. We're going to make this, 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 and this. And, you know, we'll take them to whatever Chinese cultural event may be happening so they can watch the dancing and listen to the music. And then we'll watch videos at home and that kind of stuff. Because I'm like, I may not be able to take you there physically, but I will take your mind there and I will take your ears and your eyes and your taste buds and your heart and your understanding there. Because I just firmly believe that it, it, that was one of the greatest gifts that my parents gave me, apart from an amazing education. And I guess in a way it's part of the education is that they took us all over. Mm-hmm. You know, I just think it gives you this real sense of how similar we are, especially when you eat. When you have a samosa and then you have a Cornish pasty and then you have an empanada and then, you know, even a spring roll, fried spring roll, you're like, we were all, we all decided put something in dough and fry it. Yeah. And that that yeah. equals yummy. And to me, I'm like, okay, there is something about that, that God loves too, because we're made in the image of God. There's something about stuff in fried dough that God's like, yep, two thumbs up. I'm all about it. <laughs> that's, that's, that's to me the joy of trying food from all over and having a wicked open mind about it, because I think it can teach you about who we are, but I think if you can push it a little further, it's really interesting to see what it teaches us about God. Mm. Amen. Sister, you are already a global glory chaser. (laughs) (laughs) That is so much what we are about. And, you know, it's true. I get to speak, well, not during COVID, but I get to speak in the schools when I'm sharing my children's books and now doing some of that online. And one of my favorite things to do, my book, my children's book is about pancit, which is a Filipino noodle dish. But I always just start the conversation with the kids saying, how many of you like noodles? What kind of sauce do you put on your noodles at home? And it's like noodles is this sort of universal thing that every kid has had and every kid loves. And they all, you know, they start to tell me, oh, my mom does pesto sauce or we do Thai peanut sauce or whatever it is. But It's this place where we can come together. And so even when I'm speaking in a public school, I feel like there's this marriage there. There's this imaging of God that happens because we get to see that diversity. Like you talked about with the, you know, the fried dough or whatever thing that we have in common. And then it's not so much about, oh, it's that weird food that those people eat. It's like a universal thing where it's an mm-hmm. invitation for kids to come together yeah. and say, oh, I want to learn about that. I want to yeah. try that. Yeah. Uh, I always try to cook in front of the kids too when they allow me to in the classes. And I just say, we are not going to sit here and say, ew, and that's disgusting. I want you to try it. And we're going to honor this experience together. And inevitably, I've got kids who are coming back for seconds and thirds Mm -hmm. because they have that posture 
of openness. And I also think, you know, I think it's interesting to tie in, you know, no pun intended, but, you know, like there's so many curries in Indian cooking and, you know, like message number one in my life has been like, we don't use curry powder. There's no one curry, right? There's thousands and thousands of them. But because there are thousands and thousands of them, how do you help people understand the difference between them? Because frankly, there are curries that I ate growing up and I can't tell you the difference between them. I was like, there's chicken, it's orange and it's creamy. Like, I don't know. What did you do differently, mom? I have no idea. There are curries where I can attach a story to it or a memory to it, and that can help people understand it. So for example, my favorite curry is a lamb curry called Rogan Josh. Mm -hmm. Rogan Josh was the curry that I requested on my birthday every year. It was my absolute ding-dang favorite. And so in my mind, the fact that it was cooked in ghee and yoga and all of the most expensive spices, to me, that made it special. And now when people look at that recipe in my cookbook, they can make that connection too and say, oh, that's the birthday curry. And that's just something that'll help you understand it. I think the one thing that sometimes happens, I, I tremble at the word fusion because I'm for it, but I'm also, I also want to suggest to people that it's really important to try to do a little bit of homework on the culture that you're taking ingredients from so that you understand why they use them, in what sort of pairings they use them. I've been watching Gordon Ramsay's show, Uncharted, and I just think that's such a brilliant way to understand why did the Maori eat eel? You know, to understand the story behind those things, that will help you then when you try to pull that into your own dishes, is whatever story and history that's attached to that then you can pull into your dishes and maybe there's a dish where there's a similar history and story. And guess what? That dish is going to make 150% more sense rather than being like a dish of confusion. Mm, that's so good. I love that nuance. I think it really is so important for us to enter into the story. Yeah. The story is that powerful place. And I think one of my favorite things is being in the kitchen with someone who is authentically from that culture and just mm -hmm. seeing the, the methodology, you know, mm -hmm. it's like growing up in the kitchen with my Italian grandmas and there were certain ways that they did things and asking those questions like, why do we do it this way? Why do we measure this way? And sometimes there might be a shortcut, but I'm also a little bit, like you said, maybe reserved to just skip ahead because we might miss something or maybe it's just a, a history that we learn like this is something that we did because not as many utensils were available or fancy kitchen aids and things like that that we have yeah. now and those are stories that can come out when we ask those questions so I love that you mentioned that because sometimes when we do talk about fusion I think you're right it's like this excuse to just sort of skip past some of that and really yeah. the rich part of it yeah well, as we're closing up today, I want to ask you some kind of questions along with our theme of eat, pray, run. And I have to ask, because I ask all my guests, if you have a favorite go-to snack or a main dish that you are loving. Let's see. Gosh, there's so many. So I love dates. I'm obsessed with dates. I mean, both because I grew up in the Middle East and then also because I spent so much of my adult life in California and the California date ambassador. I think dates have gotten a bad rap here in that I think they've been sort of marketed as health food. 
especially if you grew up in the 60s and 70s, it was like, you don't eat chocolate, you eat dates because you're a hippie, dang it, you know, (laughs) and that's what you did. And whereas I grew up with dates as luxury, Mm. right? I mean, you break your fast during Ramadan with a date and there are stores where dates are arranged in boxes like boxes of chocolate. Mm. Because, you know, I'm now the brand ambassador, I, you know, I have like, 40 pounds of dates in my fridge. Every time I bite into a beautiful date, I just, it's sort of an eyes roll back in your head kind of moment because you just cannot believe that that thing grew on a tree. It's sort of like eating an avocado. You're like, this doesn't make sense. This (laughs) needs to have been processed in some way. This needs to have additives or something. And that's not true. That's just how it is. It came off a tree, which means God made it. It is a spiritual, sensual experience to eat a date, I think. And so I love those. I'm obsessed with them. And then, you know, every time I go to the Indian store, I bring home another snack. Mm -hmm. So at the moment, a lot of the snacks are made out of chickpea flour, which is really great for those of us who aren't so great at processing gluten. Don't hear this the wrong way. There probably is some gluten in it, but (laughs) just because of the facilities and stuff, but there are these, just all the different manner of like deep fried chickpea dough with, you know, little bits and pieces in it. The chaat, the snack food of India is still my favorite. Yes. Well, I was just at the Indian store, I think it was on Monday and I love just going down the aisles and seeing all the different colors and different yeah. things to choose from. And I always want to try something new. For those of you who are not already following RT on Instagram, hop over there, follow the girl, and you will learn all the things <laughs> about dates. I think I saw <laughs> some posts that you made maybe a few weeks ago that was about dipping dates in coffee. Mm-hmm. So intrigued by that. And it was like, I, I need to try this. And I yeah, do black like coffee. coffee. So dates are yeah. everywhere. I don't think I really um, had such an appreciation for dates and figs specifically <laughs> until I moved to this part of the country in the world. Yeah. Um, but I love seeing all the ideas of how you use those things too. Okay. So that's the eat. Let's talk about the pray. What role does prayer play in your life today? Oh boy. Well, (laughs) I should be praying more. I think everybody says that, don't they? I go through seasons of being really sort of deep in prayer and like having sessions. And then days like now where it's just a little whisper several times a day. And usually it's just help me or where are you? Or thanks. This was cool. (laughs) That's sort of how I'm praying at the moment. But you know, it's so funny. I think I sometimes overlook even the things that feel like little, the thing that I've been trying to say is thank you a lot because so often the help me happens and then the help arrives. And then I'm so relieved that I forget the thank you. (laughs) And just the other day I had a total meltdown with my kids because I was like, dudes, I do so much for you. I just gave you both pedicures instead of giving myself one. I got you a denim jacket because that's what you asked for. I did all of this stuff and not one person has said thank you. And it drove me nuts. And I was like, it's driving me nuts. Imagine how God feels about it. Mm. So just the other night I woke up in the middle of the night and I couldn't sleep and I was just sort of rolling something over in my mind. And that doesn't happen to me. I've always been able to sleep. So that kind of freaked me out. And I was like, Lord, I don't, want to just pick up my phone because I know that blue light is going to keep me up even longer. So 
can you just please help me go to sleep? And I don't remember saying anything more than that, just falling asleep. And so that seems like a small answer to prayer, but in that moment, I desperately needed help and he helped me. And that's something I need to hold on to that, you know, in that was a small thing. So, you know, compared to some of the big things that I'm praying about. And so he's still helping. He's still working. And I have to hold on to that in my prayer time with him. Absolutely. That's such a sweet example too, of just how he meets us in those moments. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes we think about prayers. It needs to be you know, something that we do in this certain way, that we kneel in this certain way, or we spend this certain amount of time and we kind of beat ourselves up about it. But really the invitation is to just cry out to him or to thank him in that little whisper, like you mentioned. Thank you for sharing. Well, my last question for today is about running. And I'm not sure even (laughs) if you are a runner, but what's your favorite kind of exercise? I know you've been doing some kind of an exercise program. I see here on Instagram, shuttle runs and, you know, different things. So tell us about that. (laughs) I've never been athletic ever. I've always been the the chubbiest child in the room. And, And then, you know, somewhere in college, I was like, oh, you can just go exercise. Like you don't have to be an athlete to do this. So last year, actually, while, you know, a lot of people were putting on the COVID-19, a friend of mine had started following a program called Delta Bravo, which came out of the gym that she goes to in Venice, California called Juice. And all you need are a set of dumbbells and that's it. And the hardest workout I've ever done is the one at their gym on Sunday that's two hours long. This is only like, you know, 45 minutes. <laughs> so not so bad. But I started doing that. And then my husband started doing it with me. So it's a way for us to sort of be connected and bonded and things and soar together and sort of cussing together. But yeah, it's a lot of squats and reverse lunges and runs thing and burpees, so many burpees and things that I wouldn't necessarily make myself do. And I just felt such a difference. I just felt stronger. I felt mostly, I just felt my mind clear. And so I can tell like, to you know, my husband's doing it right now. And as soon as I get off this, I'm going to go do it because I'm grumpy and I'm going through some stuff right now. That's really got my emotions all messed up. So I'm going to take my mat outside. I'm going to take my weights outside and I'm going to work out outside. I think I've really come to understand that we're meant to be outside more often than we are. I remember I was reading a statistic about how especially human beings in America spend on average 93% of their time inside. It's so bad, right? Like part of that is you're sleeping. I get it. And we're working and I get that. So, you know, even if it's five minutes, I go outside and I can feel it's almost like I can feel all the pollution in my body come out. Mm-hmm. So I have a whole new appreciation for that. I can thank 2020 for that for sure. <laughs> well, that is definitely something that I'm passionate about as well. I, I call running or working out in whatever form you do it, whether it's yoga, dance, walking, running. Mm-hmm. It's a therapy to me. Part of what I talk about, even in the book that I wrote, is that my husband passed away seven years ago. Mm-hmm. And it, it truly was this therapy for me mm-hmm. that getting outside in God's creation, moving my body, and like you said, even sweating it out, the toxins, all of that was so healing. And I didn't know yeah. any of the science behind it. 
it was just the thing that I did and kept doing because I already had that rhythm in my life. But since then, studying and hearing from other therapists, and brain science, it's like there actually is a thing that is going on in our bodies that God mm-hmm. created us in that way. Mm-hmm. So I just want to tell you, I am cheering you on. You go get that workout. <laughs> Keep oh, showing and, up. <laughs> and ice baths. Like I'm obsessed with those now too. So I'm trying to figure out a way to build an ice bath at home. Because again, it's another one of those things that it gives you so much mental and physical clarity. And I think doing it outside again is just, yeah, I totally agree with you. I I don't think we emphasize that enough or even teach our children that enough that go outside. We're not meant to be cooped up inside. And if you're starting to feel like grumpy and hostile and (laughs) depressed, you know what I mean? Go outside. Well, amen to that. Well, as we close up today, I just want to ask, how can we support you? Do you have anything that is coming down the pipeline that we can share and where can people find you? Well, you can find me on Instagram. I try to be on there a lot. And then also I have two shows coming out on Food Network in the next few weeks, um, a judge on Halloween wars and <laughs> holiday wars. Oh, I um, love it. Love it. Yeah. It, th- there's very little war involved. It's just a competition show, guys. But it's beautiful, really extremely expertly made cakes decorated. Mm. And some of the things that people are able to do with sugar and chocolate would will take your breath away. It's really incredible. So I've got that going on. I'm on grocery games still. And then I have a little something coming out in the next couple of months, but just keep your eyes open. And I think it's going to be exciting. I'm really excited about it. Ooh, she gave us a teaser. Okay. Well, go check out RT on Instagram. We'll link all those things in our show notes. I know you have a website as well. So people Mm -hmm. can sign up for your newsletter there. Yes, please do. I would love that. And then you'll find out what the special thing is. That's what I was thinking. Okay. We want the inside scoop. Well, Fred, thank you so much for just spending some time with me today. I just, I appreciate you being honest with your story, but also the ways that God is using you to point back to his glory. Thank you, Darina. And now would you join me for a word of prayer? Lord, I thank you for the ways that you invite us into your presence through tasting and seeing, through smells through the experience of community around the table. I thank you for the ways that Artie has just exemplified for us what it looks like to be authentic, to be vulnerable, and to bring our own cultural experiences into our cooking so that we might know you in a more dynamic way, Lord. And so this week, I want to just pray over each person who is listening to this podcast. I pray that you would open our eyes our nose, our ears, our sense of taste and smell so that we might experience you with all of those senses. I pray, God, that you would show us opportunities that we might have to learn about other friends, other image bearers who come from a different cultural background, who may have grown up cooking things in a little bit different way. Help us to have courage to ask about their stories and to listen well. And I pray, God, that you would show us your glory this week in the mundane and the monumental moments. I pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.
Before we close, I just wanted to share a few more details with you about our new Global Glory Chasers membership. Global Glory Chasers is for the family that loves to explore together. And we've done the work for you of curating these special resources so that you can travel to a new country each month from the comfort of your home. You can make it a Saturday night tradition or maybe a special family night that you do during the weekdays. You can explore some new foods, watch movies and videos, or read a book together that might instigate some good family discussion. We want you to make this experience your own. And so this month, we are taking our Global Glory Chasers to the country of India. We would love for you to learn alongside us. So please head over to my website at www.DarinaGilmore, that's D-O-R-I-N-A-G-I-L-M-O-R-E, dot com backslash GGC for Global Glory Chasers. And you can explore all the details of the membership over there. And while you're there, friends, I want to just remind you to sign up for my weekly Glorygram. This is a special newsletter that I put out every week and all the details of what we're doing and some encouragement for your soul. You can find it there in the Glorygram. It's my way of staying in touch more personally with you. So thank you for joining us on season three, episode three of the Global Glory Chasers Eat, Pray, Run podcast. It's been a joy to serve you. And I just want to encourage you to taste and see the glory of God this week.